0: Well, the last half hour, we spoke to Sergei Loiko, a Russian-born journalist who worked for a long time for the LA Times covering war zones around the world. He's now picked up a Kalashnikov to some extent. He's joined the Ukrainian forces to fight Russia, and we spoke to him outside of Kiev. We move now from the front lines of the shooting war to the front lines of the growing humanitarian crisis. Unsurprisingly today, talks between the foreign ministers of Russia and Ukraine saw no breakthroughs on anything of substance, on anything really. Not even human co- humanitarian corridors to allow people to flee in safety. Here's Ukraine's foreign minister, Dmitry Kuleba.
1: The broad narrative that he, uh, uh, that he conveyed to me is uh, that uh, they will continue their aggression until uh, Ukraine uh, meets their demands and the list of those demands is a surrender and this is why it's not uh, uh why it is not acceptable to us
0: that was ukraine's foreign minister 2.3 million people have already fled the country millions or more are on the move inside as russia's indiscriminate attacks on ukraine's civilian populations goes on um, more people are going to flee Ukraine's president says tens of thousands of people were evacuated from several cities today alone, and it all brings a desperate plea from a Canadian for help as his organization tries to provide aid to the many, many on the move or stuck under siege in those cities running short on basic necessities. The director of Hungry for Life International, Chad Martz, is from Chilliwack. Now he and his Ukrainian wife are on the front lines of this increasingly urgent battle to help those in need and really to save lives. He joins me now from Western Ukraine. Chad Martz, thank you so much for your time tonight.
1: No, no problem, Ben. Thanks for having me on.
0: I've read, obviously, um, you know, how you've been, the work you've been doing since the very outset of, of this crisis. How is it now? How is it today? And how much tougher has it become uh, since those early days back at the beginning of the month?
1: Yeah, it's, it's become increasingly difficult. So right at the very beginning, um, we, we were actually just preparing for like a large amount of people coming out to the western part of Ukraine. And so like we, we quickly networked with uh, with, with churches and, and individuals to be able to, um, provide the support that they needed to house and and shelter so many so it was close to around you know a thousand uh you know refugees that the, the different churches that were going to house and we were there to support them with you know food bedding clean water and and just basically just offsetting what what uh, they were providing so you know it, it has it has changed because of the increased desperation of people and so the um we we quickly realized that um the 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 additional need was actually coming from more of like the central and the east part of the the country as people were fleeing the conflict zone, and food supplies right away. I mean that that has been a, a a huge change in trying to make sure that we have sufficient food supplies so that we can get it to the people who who need it the most. So we 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 didn't leave obviously the people in the west part of uh, of of Ukraine. We still help support to support people from from here. Uh, But we have an extensive network um, in which we're traveling to the central and north and east side of the the country to get food where people actually don't have any food right now.
0: I was going to say, we've been talking about the, the lack of humanitarian corridors. We've been talking about cities under siege, such as Mariupol, Kharkiv, where there are desperate needs right now. And I gather even where you are, it's just difficult to find the resources to get to them.
1: Yeah, it's you know we we've got an incredible team here. We've been able to um we've been able to secure resources in terms of the the food um but we simply lack the financial resources to to acquire all that we need to keep um this going. So for example, this last week we were actually able to provide food for um 40,000 you know refugees when when people are thinking, you know, how much are you guys doing or or what have you? I mean, it, it's a lot, but we have way more that we have the capacity to do. And so we have been working with, originally, like when this all first broke out, it was like me and my wife um, going to the store and just grabbing all these carts of food and just putting it into these small vehicles, bring it to our garage. And it's expanded so much further to there where we were going actually then to the suppliers um, to then have that brought over to a warehouse that we were gifted uh, to us. That's like a thousand meter warehouse. To having another warehouse in central Ukraine, so that we can take the supplies from where we're getting it here to the central part, and then having vehicles go from there to the to the other side. So it's it it has expanded. It's expanded uh, very very quickly, um, and so we we have secured even going one further from the suppliers, going directly to the factory. So what's only prohibiting us right now is actually actually the the resources, and so. Um, one of the more complicated things that we're having to do is actually making decisions on terms of where the food goes and we're receiving calls all the time. We're receiving calls that we're out of food. We need assistance. We need, out of, we're we're out of food in another place. And we're actually having to decide which is the priority in terms of food. And I don't want that. I don't, uh, I don't want to be in this position where I have to to choose what people are getting food and who's not. And so right now it's actually the the lack of, financial resources that's going to to equip us to be able to provide the food for people that need it so badly
0: what is the situation like right now just where you are you're seeing people fleeing what are you hearing from them
1: oh uh i'll do my best to answer uh this one um you know when 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 it all broke out i i I wanted to kind of stay clear of the um the emotional side of things so i wouldn't. I wouldn't get pulled. I would be able to just stay focused on what we need and stay focused. But we, we ourselves um, are receiving so many calls and trying to help people be placed in different ones. And then whoever doesn't have a place, we have them come through our door. And I remember distinctly hearing the story of the, the, one of the first couples, you know, that came in, um, they're just telling us the story of this little four-year-old girl mm-hmm. and um, how they sheltered her with their own bodies in a room with no windows uh, for five days. And then they spent two days in the subway and then they spent four days traveling across the the country and then eventually came to our place. You know what, once I was finished my work, I stepped out of my office and she was there and she raised her hand and she asked me if I would play with her. And that time I was like, you know what, I, I, uh, I got pulled right into the, right into the thick of things where, you know what, all she wanted was somebody to be able to play with her and all the things that she endured and all the stuff that I needed to do. And I just stayed and played with her for an hour And that's just one person, other, another person who's at my house today, we were, we were trying to console her, her her cousins were shot and killed with an infant in their vehicle trying to flee the the conflict zone. We have people who are coming here who have not eaten in days and are just completely traumatized. It's, I I don't know, I don't know how to, to, to like articulate it well enough to your listeners about the trauma. Traumatic experience people are going through, and 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 these are the ones that are, get, are getting out. This is not even the ones who are stuck in the areas that who have, don't have access to to food or running water or power or electricity. And it's cold in the east still. Like it, it is extremely desperate. And I I I hope I'm trying to I hope I'm conveying this as best as I can to your listeners.
0: I was going to say I I guess the one thing that that people who've never been in a war zone don't understand often, and I'm hearing this from you, is that it is almost it is impossible to not be brought in to the emotional side of it.
1: No, I, I, I'm quickly running out of tears for the, for all the stories that we're hearing. I, I just, we, you know, it it breaks you and you've got to pick up and keep going. You, you can't, um, you you can't, you can't let it affect you to the point that it's prohibiting you. And it's not just, it's just not the people that are coming through It's our own family that is here. So even my, my mother-in-law who has given up her place for refugees to stay in here and to come and actually help us here at this house, to be able to cook for us and for the refugees who are stopping in for even maybe just for a meal or for the evening um, or for a few days, she's, she's here to cook for them. And she's sitting at the table, talking to her, you know, to her, her kids and her grandkids who had to leave so quickly. And she didn't even necessarily get to say goodbye to them. And she doesn't even know when they're going to see them again. So it's, it's, it hits home on a personal level. It hits home from people who you don't know who are coming through or just been completely devastated. An old, like a seven-year-old lady, like leaving our house and we're just trying to love on them. And she's just like, how, how do I start over as a seven-year-old when I have nothing? How, how do I start over from zero? It's um, it's, it's, it's too much to, to bear. It's too much, but it's also honestly like, when that little girl um (laughs) just asked me to you know to play with her and i've got a daughter myself who's 17 years old and for me it's not that long ago that she was four years old just like her and i can't fathom what they're going through and what what you know how is this how is this thing okay like how is this okay what is happening from a result of one one person's decision to do what they're doing it's um it's 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 extremely difficult, but you know it drives us. It drives us in the in the the face of all the horrible things that are going on here to be, you know, uh, as much good as we can possibly provide for people in this country. And it's it honestly, it's fueling me. It fuels me to get past the lack of sleep, the emotional turmoil, the struggles the the difficulties that we're facing through here it, it pushes me and it drives me to to do as much as i can and again it's just not me there's a there's a massive team in behind me that is just as dedicated who are also refugees who are doing their part to help the country maybe not necessarily in a military fashion but this is a way that we're helping the country to be able to keep its freedom from somebody who's coming in totally unprovokedly into the unprovoked into the country sorry i'm rambling on there but i just kind of It's hard to keep it in check at this stage because it's just becoming so desperate.
0: I'm sure, Chad. I'm speaking with Chad Martz, uh, Director of Operations of Hungry for Life International, a charity. He's in Western Ukraine right now, helping cope with what has turned into just a massive humanitarian crisis in that country. Right after this, we'll talk a bit more about what we can do back here in Canada to help. That's next. I'm back with Chad Martz, Director of Operations for the charity Hungry for Life International, originally from Chilliwack, now living in Western Ukraine with his wife and family, helping those fleeing the war across the country, many not knowing where they're going, many having packed up and left very dangerous situations with little more than what they could carry and heading to they don't know where to find they don't know what. Um, Chad, listening to you, I mean, obviously, the plea for help comes is is and the emotion, because one can't imagine what it's like. You know, we see the images, but the images never convey the emotions really of what's being what it's like to come face to face with people who fled. What can Canadians do generally? Do you think? Yeah, to, I make, mean, you, to help. You, you,
1: yeah, I, you you said it. Like, I, I don't see all the images that you know the Canadian public is is seeing, but I, I'm here. Um, and i'm listening to it and i'm seeing the actual videos of people who are fleeing from it who have shells that have gone through who are seeing tanks rolling through their towns who have had missile strikes into their areas i mean we're seeing it. Uh, it it's it's real it's traumatizing and you know how how can people help and 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 you know we we were functioning in this chaos in the beginning and we were trying to to help as many people as we possibly could in the beginning while we were building the structure so that we could we could extend our extensive network across the country and we've been able to do that we've been able to to develop and establish a, a an incredible network and team to be able to do it and I, I I've moved away from you know asking people to give and I'm, I'm uh, I mean I I've, I don't know in my life if I've ever really used the words but I'm 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 pleading for it like there is no <sighs> like there, we have the ability to help so many more people. And we're just limited by the resources that we have. And we have the ability to access them, we have the ability to access um, uh, the the produce here within the country, to be able to reach, you know, not, not just hundreds or 1000s or ten thousands, but hundreds of 1000s of people who, you know, just as of 14 days ago, were living a regular life with their regular businesses, we're getting married, we're doing all this. And now we're just fleeing everything, losing everything in addition to people's lives. And so if, if people want to know how to respond, it is, I am pleading for the resources to be able to equip us to do the things that we need to do to help the people on the ground here.
0: Chad, we spoke with someone from the World Food Program a little earlier in the week, how much coordination, and I know it's, it, it must be just pure chaos at times, but how much coordination and support are the different organizations getting? So you can make sure that those with the resources, or at least the logistics as you have, are actually able to help the people that need the help.
1: Yeah, it's, um, I mean, being from a Canadian charity, we have talked at, uh, you know, a higher level in terms of what organizations are where and doing what. And again, it's war. This is nothing like, um, you know, if it's like a natural disaster and, and you come in and you combine your resources, this, this, is, this is war and it's completely different. I just happen to be within the country. I happen to be as part of an organization. My wife is from here. And uh, the network that we've been able to, to establish outside of all the other organization has actually been, um, you, know, you know, 10 or 20 years in the making. Our, our family that's here, and I'm, I, I don't want to downplay in terms of like, okay, this is your family doing something here. But my, uh, my wife and their family had traveled around this country and, and no all these people in all the different churches that we are using as our connecting points. We don't need to vet anybody. We know them, we know that when we get supplies to them that they're going to be giving it to the appropriate people because this is also the time where people are being opportunists to be able to take supplies and to upsell things. And so we, we, we don't have to take the time to, to vet the, the people but we have an extensive network throughout the entire country.
0: What does your day look like now? Like, and, and like, what does each day look like when you wake up?
1: Uh, it's completely different each day when you wake up, but I mean, it's the same, same start. It's like you you need to check your phone because you want to see how you know close uh, how much advancement there has been in in terms of the war. Um, you need to check your your messages, and then you also check to see who's new that is coming into the house. We're trying to stay grounded. We have a um, our family has a a spiritual belief. And so we take time to also read and we pray to try to make sure that we're just keeping ourselves focused and energized for what's what's coming ahead, but to give you a day in a life of, you know, what's happening here. It's, it's, it's go, go, go nonstop. It is, um, dealing and troubleshooting with a lot of situations it's it's making um, life or death dis- situations I'm i am not over exaggerating it. It, it it the decisions that we're having to make at this point as opposed to a week ago are becoming extremely difficult when we're getting all these calls for food from places that just you know don't have so it it is it's, it's a lot of work it's a lot of coordinations but systematically we're in a much better place than we were during the first week of the the war.
0: And as you mentioned, Chad, it has now become a matter of life and death. Chad Marts, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Keep up the great work. Um, and thank
1: you for your time. Yeah, thanks, Ben, for having me on the program and allowing me to share what's going on here.